Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Monday evening? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. On today's show, we've got Ole Miss, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist in Rippy Writes football correspondent Weldon Rodenberg. It's our normal Sunday show, but we wanted to wait to see if there are any developments from the Lane Kiffin Monday press conference. Um, and there kind of were and weren't at the same time. We got into the quarterback indecision um, and some other depth chart stuff as the Rebels are now only uh, you know four days away from playing one of these suckers that counts. So uh, exciting times ahead. And then, of course, close the show with Soccer Corner. It's a great show. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Matt MIMS is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. You need to hit him up for all of your insurance needs. Everything's expensive right now. Inflation's high. Gas is expensive. Groceries are expensive. When it comes to getting things insured, you don't want to leave money on the table there. The insuring process can be overwhelming. You don't know which provider to go with. You don't know what type of coverage to get. You don't know what's the best deal and what's not. Take all of that away by just calling Matt Mims at 601-218-7854 and let him handle it for you. He's an independent agent based in Oxford. Whatever you need insured, whether it's a house, a car, a boat, congrats on the boat, that's pretty sick. Um, I don't know, life insurance, whatever you need, he can get it done for you. He shops your quote around to 10 different agencies and his entire job is to make sure you get the best possible rate for whatever it is you need insured. So his only goal here is to listen to what you need. He'll shop it around and bring it back to you and boom, the process is over. There's no hassle. He's taking care of the legwork for you. Check him out there. I wouldn't send you anyone I don't trust. Matt Mims has been a good friend of mine for a long time. Anywhere in the state of Mississippi, he's based in Oxford, but anywhere across the Magnolia State that you need insured, he can help you out, no problem. Check him out there, MIMS Insurance, at 601-218-7854. That's his personal cell. He's going to pick up, and he's going to make all of your insurance needs easy and painless. Check him out, Matt MIMS, there in Oxford. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Ran into the guys at Skybox over the weekend. They... Crushed it in week zero. They gave the week zero picks away for free. You hope you took advantage of that. Now, once you have, go buy a picks package. As football season gets cranked up, go buy the season pass for NFL and college. I'd recommend just going along with a uh, Skybox full year pass. I didn't even do the traditional ad intro. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox major journal and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. This is a disaster of an ad read, but you know it's not Skybox making you money. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. Whatever sport you like, however long you want to do it, a week, a month, a day, a season, go all sports, whatever it is, go check them out on the site. They're going to have something that fits your price range, and they're going to lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain. This is the bankroll season. You got everything ready to go. This is going to be the year you finally profit. If you go off your own knowledge, that's probably not going to be the case. If you use Skybox, they're going to actually lead you to profit and you're going to get to the end of the year and be like, wow, that was awesome having that amount of supplementary income. Big week for Skybox last week. Had a lot of guys reaching out about the promo code. Use promo code RIPPEE, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. Glad to have those guys on board. Skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, now here is Weldon Rodenberg on depth charts, quarterback battles, and the start of the season. 
All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. Much to talk about today. Much has happened since the uh, really in the last couple out a couple days to couple hours. Honestly, we just got a depth chart as we started recording this. Um, it is game week. They've been out of camp for a week. Uh, football's finally here. Did you uh, did you enjoy the week zero? I don't know if I'd call it that, but it was nice to have it on the TV. Yeah, it was definitely nice to watch something. Um, I wish if they were going to do this that they would put maybe like three good games like you have the Nebraska Northwestern. Then maybe you have a kind of a, a pretense to the, the late game. that's like a real game. But, um, yeah, I enjoyed watching it. It was, it was worthwhile. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of media got a lot of stuff out of Nebraska getting their butts kicked. Um, and then, you know, Vandy scoring 63 points six hours away in Hawaii was cool. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't bad. It was kind of what you'd expect. I caught the afternoon game a little bit of kind of the dinnertime games. I was at a wedding. I actually saw our, uh, our friend Chuck Sylvia just to find upstanding <laughs> at this uh, said wedding. But the point being, uh, I didn't see any of Vanderbilt. Did you watch any of that game? I mostly am just wondering how they scored 63 points against anyone. Did you catch any of this? Yeah, I've actually kind of taken a, a pretty big interest in the Commodores recently. Okay. Uh, my little brother goes there. He's doing his master's there. And then probably most people would not know this, but uh, SEC legend and Vanderbilt legend Jimmy Williams was my defensive coordinator in high school. And he was an all-SEC, all-freshman player at Vanderbilt. And uh, I went to his funeral like two or three weeks ago. And just the way that Vanderbilt has handled that entire thing has made me a fan of Clark Lee, of the athletic director, and just everything they're doing. And uh, so I, I made sure to watch that game. And to be quite honest, I mean, they had some guys out there that looked way more like SEC players than they usually have. Um, I mean, they looked really good, and Hawaii sucks. So I'm not taking too much into it. But um, Jimmy's family was there. They invited his son Ace and his wife. Uh, for the entire week to Hawaii. So, like, they had, they had some good stuff in there. And Mike Wright was with uh, Ace in, like, the post-game press conference. I obviously did not stay up that late, but I saw some of the videos later. So, I'm, I'm building uh, quite a little Commodore fanship, and I have them over two wins for the season, which I think looks pretty good so far. I think that I think they might get to three. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually did watch a good bit of that game. That's awesome. And I knew your brother went there. I know you said doing the Masters. He did undergrad there too, though, right? He's a smart kid. He did. Yeah. There we smart go. Smart kid. He did. <laughs> under, I, under, I went to his uh, graduation there in like 95 degree heat. My grandparents almost had heat strokes sitting there in the, the Memorial Vanderbilt Stadium watching Elliot uh, graduate. So, yeah, I've, I've been around there quite a lot. I like Clark Lee a lot too. He's uh seems like a pretty thoughtful fellow when he uh, speaks. And like, like he kind of caught a little bit of like internet shit the other week because he got asked something about like where do you see this program going or like what's his goal with the program and of course he said we'd like to be the best program in the SEC and of course everyone's like oh get a load of this guy Vanderbilt it's like well what do you want him to say you want him to be like you know yeah. if we could go to four we could get to four and eight that'd really be sick um I'd probably no exactly I'd probably immediately call my agent for an extension at four and eight so we're thinking that's where we're gonna cap things out here in our time in Nashville it's like what do you want him to say. You know, with, without spending too much time on the Vanderbilt piece of it, I was halfway joking about the 63 points thing, but I saw some, like, Twitter clips and highlights. They looked like they had a little bit more speed and real SEC players because 
you know, as bad as Hawaii is, this is the same Vanderbilt program that lost 23-3 to at home to ETSU last year. Now, granted, that's a pretty good 1AA program that sometimes makes that playoffs. But, like, there Let's is not no give rock too much bottom. credit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there is no, like, you know, there is no, like, whatever you think the floor is for an SEC program, Vanderbilt is, you know, flirted with going below that. So, good for the doors. I do like them over two wins. I went down their schedule a little bit last week. I don't think the Rebels, or at least would hope not, they don't have much trouble with them. But uh, it was good no, to get football I back. That. Yeah, yeah, that was – that I hope not. I mean, let's not get let's not too get ahead of our skis, but uh, I don't anticipate that being too much of an issue. Yeah, I, I don't either. And it was good to have football back in week zero. And, you know, I was talking to Buchanan last week about, like, I was kind of the same way. I was like, I wish they'd have one or two good games on week zero. But for whatever week zero might have lacked, they're making up with it for this week one, man. You get Ohio State, Notre Dame. We get Oregon, Georgia. We've got that kind of weird Sunday game that we discussed with LSU and Florida State that I kind of honestly didn't know was happening until like three weeks ago. You got the, you know, the Labor Day game isn't great, but I don't know. It's two ACC schools, whatever. Like you got some good football this weekend that I'm really fascinated to uh, to watch. Um, I'd, you know, some of those opening weekends are kind of duds. At least you have paper matchups that look awesome. Yeah, I mean, those are like the marquee ones, but there's also some other great ones. I don't know if you mentioned it, but like the the USC transfer quarterback bowl, West Virginia Pitt playing the backyard brawl for the first time in like four or five oh, yeah. years. Like North Carolina, who did not look very good against a, you know, ineligible Florida A&M team. Uh, they have to go to App State. That'll be kind of a cool game. Um, Mississippi State and Memphis, you might have said that one. There's kind of like obviously the marquee ones, and there's also some really interesting lower level kind of games that can be uh, hidden a little bit that I think are going to be really interesting to watch too. For sure. And another one that I omitted there uh, that I've kind of found out late, I, I've, I've just been late checking the schedule all over the place. Arkansas uh, hosts Cincinnati yeah. in Fayetteville week one. That will be a uh, That'll be really interesting. I don't really know what Cincinnati has coming back. I know they got a pretty good roster and are probably kind of like Ole Miss where they're worried about the quarterback play replacing a guy like Ritter. But that'll be another good one. And, uh, of course, the Mighty Rebels open up against with uh, John Sumrall's Troy Trojans. Um, I don't know a ton about Troy, but, like, it sounds like that that's a pretty significant – I won't call it a rebuild because I don't know what that actually means, but, like, a roster overhaul. I am not sure that they're in the place – where uh, some past Troy teams have been. I don't think they're very good. They got some help with the transfer quarterback. It doesn't sound like that kid's going to play till week two or week three, come in off the bench. Maybe. Yep. But um, Ole Miss shouldn't have much trouble. This will be more about Ole Miss, and that's probably a, uh, a good segue into the topic that everyone wants to talk about, is we did get a depth chart today. The classic or was thrown up on the quarterback position. They had – a mock game week last week where they had classes, they had your typical kind of game week schedule, the walkthrough that they do all the way leading up into a scrimmage. And I thought we might get a quarterback named on Monday at the uh, media availability, both Jackson Dart and um, Luke Altmaier followed Lane Kiffin today uh, in talking with the media. I thought that was an interesting move, but the uh, story here is that Kiffin has yet to name a starter. Um, what do you make of this? I mean, I think he's genuinely conflicted on who it's going to be. Now, I did – sounds like Dart took the, most of the first team reps, so you can, you know, think of that what you will. Um, but he's pretty blunt. I mean, we were talking about this before we got on, that he, like, is pretty honest. You know, with, with the exceptions of injuries, he's willing to kind of give an insight if you ask the correct questions. And it sounds like he really, truly doesn't fully 
have the uh, the information yet to commit to one of these guys. Though I do think it'll be Dart, and for anyone that's watched some of these practices and has some, you know, knowledge of what's going on, that's their thought too. But it's not, you know, stuck enough in Kiffin said for him to name the guy. And at this point, it's like, why even name him before the game starts? You know, maybe you do it kind of in the team and it leaks out uh, and someone will figure it out, of course. But if you're not going to name it today, it's like you're just you're not getting yourself any advantage at this point. You might as well just roll out the guy you end up choosing on Saturday. And, you know, for the sake of this conversation, I do think that will be Dart. So I don't know what you think, but that's probably how I'm going to, you know, talk about the rest of this team and rosters just with that assumption in mind. I've been accused of agreeing with people too much on this podcast through the years, but like I, I landed on the exact same thing. I just like, so exactly what you said was the, probably the surprising part. If there's a surprising place in where I landed after watching the press conference, I say today we're recording this on a Monday night after the presser happened earlier today was the fact that I think he genuinely is probably still conflicted. You know, part of me expected maybe he doesn't name one of them and kind of gives the BS line about, you know, we're still not sure we'll handle that this week. But the, the striking part of it to me was, one, the way he spoke. Like, if you, I'm, you know, we're two and a half years into this thing now. I, you can kind of read the – I feel like I'm getting better reading the tea leaves with Kiffin where I know when he's, like, kind of BSing to where he actually kind of seems genuine in some regard. But the big piece of it to me – was bringing both the quarterbacks out afterward to speak to the media because that's when you know for sure none of neither one of them have been told anything. At least that would Correct. be a pretty shocking development to me. No, you would never ever yes. do that. A hundred percent. That would just be torture. That's like that's like would bring Plumley out last year or something like that. Just would be fake. You know, it, it, it's not. He would never not tell the guy who's starting and make him you know, go deal with media and basically lie to media's faces about all the the answers that he's has like that, that would never happen. Yeah. I was trying to think of a word for it. And I was going to say like surprising, but really that would just be like mean. It'd be like, like how it would be very cynical or like just pointless. Honestly, (laughs) I don't even know what to think of it. And so with that being said, that obviously I I tended to believe him even before the other two guys came out and spoke with the media, but that kind of sealed it for me. I was like, Oh, he really doesn't know. And you know, as without giving like too much away from, you know, what Neil put behind the board, but he did mention that, I mean, anyone that went to the, that kind of put tabs on that closed scrimmage on Saturday probably has it out there, but Dart took the majority of the first team reps, as you mentioned, I don't know what that means, but if I'm strictly hypothesizing, I don't know this from talking to anybody. This is strictly just me playing out hypotheticals or trying to piece together what that means juxtaposed with what happened today. And I just wonder if, he was favoring Dart. It seemed to be trending that way last week. He gave him all the first team reps and was left underwhelmed with the result of that. That seems to be maybe the most logical conclusion of what may have happened on Saturday um, and Sunday. I don't know if they practiced on Sunday or took a day off. I can't remember which one. It may have just been a, a scrimmage Saturday. But point being, I guess that's where they're landed. And that's probably the root of all this. I would imagine, you know, from hearing you talk a second ago, you sound a little bit surprised that he seems genuinely somewhat conflicted at this point. I know I am too. And that seems rooted in what may sound obvious, but the fact that he seems a little frustrated that neither one of these guys has taken this job, particularly Dart, and grabbed it by the throat and kind of made it their own. That seems to be why we're in the position we're in today. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I was listening to uh, to Brian Kelly's uh, press conference this morning and he, he told the media that, like, yes, we have named a starter internally, 
but we're not going to announce it for the Florida State game because, you know, we're, we're just going to keep it as like a kind of a tactical advantage because those are kind of two different types of quarterbacks. But it's it's the same dynamic of you brought in one guy also from the Pac-12 to compete with another guy who was also a redshirt freshman that has a little bit more knowledge of what's going on. Of course, you know, just because Kelly's a different staff, I mean, this staff has another offensive coordinator and defense coordinator, so do they. So the way that they've both been handling it is just two quarterback competitions where they just have – they're either really, really close or haven't been impressed with what they've seen from either one. And uh, I know this is not an LSU podcast, but it was just an interesting, you know, cor- corollary between the two. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing with Kiffin was kind of what Kelly said. I think he, in his mind, has chosen Dart already. You can say that from the, the first team reps, but he just can't say it because there's it's not 100% and he's not exactly excited with what he's seen coming down the stretch from either one of them, which is also what I've heard about the LSU deal. So I don't know what to think of it. I don't know why or what has hampered either one of these guys from taking the reins completely. Uh, But he does sound at least genuinely concerned. Uh, I do know that, you know, sometimes all it takes is just real game action. You kind of are playing against your team and scripts and, you know, you kind of see what a guy looks like in real time versus in practice. Um, Though on the other hand, I've kind of always said, if, if you're not a good practice player, you better be like the best game player ever or you won't play in this league. So I don't know what's going to happen. I'm kind of talking myself in circles, trying to think about what, how this has happened, why it's happened, and why Kiffin has decided to keep it going. But um, I don't. I think they're going to roll Dart out there. I think they're going to play well just because I think they have that much more talent than Troy does. But clearly, especially with this kind of scrimmage, that was really more of a, a game day uh, – kind of dress rehearsal didn't go well. I mean, that's definitely concerning and he did not seem to hide that. So it, all of it is a little, a little concerning. I can't even think of a better synonym than that. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're just going to have to go out there and play well. And he said that as well. It's kind of up to them at this point because they don't know what they're going to see from Troy. So they just have to refine everything that they've done through the fall to make sure they're out there ready to play their best. Yeah, and operating on the premise that it was, you know, that Dart took a lot of or most of the first team reps in that Saturday scrimmage, I just wonder if it's if Kiffin, like you said, it was leaning a certain way and just didn't get the confirmation. You met you mentioned not being a hundred percent, I think was the way you just phrased it a second ago. I think he maybe have looked wanted to go into that weekend and coming away from it feeling a hundred percent and is kind of balking at it because of that, because it didn't get to that a hundred percent. And so with that, with that being kind of the running theory, what would happen in a game week set of practice that would lead him to lean the other way, presumably that being Altmeyer, Or is it just indecision and him wanting another day to consider all possibilities? Like, I just wonder if that's kind of the operating premise, what would have to happen for it to flip the other way? No, that's a great question. I, I do not know. I mean, of course, it could be something like a minor injury. I mean, that's always possible, even in a practice setting. Uh, in my opinion, nothing. I, I, I think at this point, if you truly don't know, that is pretty concerning. And it, from all you know, sense of purposes, it sounds like they don't know, not because both have been so great, but both have been so up and down. I don't want to say mediocre, but up and down is probably the be- is the better way to go about it. Um, 
I don't think anything's going to change Dart getting the first team reps and Dart ended up being the one that goes out there. Um, but no, it's, it's a valid, a valid question, valid point that, you know, it would have to take something pretty miraculous or just kind of sort of some sort of epiphany in a practice that Kiffin sees that he's like, you know what, I, I've given, you know, the guy with the more talents, every ample opportunity, but I'm going to go with the safer pick and, and roll with that. Cause and this might be your next question, but the guy he picks and the guy he rolls out there is going to be the guy he sticks with at least for four quarters against Troy, barring some catastrophic effort, um, because I just don't see him going back and forth. We kind of talked about it last week, how he handled Corral in Arkansas. Uh, he, he's going to give the guy all the confidence and all of the you know ability to lead the team and play as well as he can. I don't see him going to quarterbacks or rotating often. Like I said, unless some sort of catastrophic effort or just, you know, something really, really bad with Dart early on. You're getting pretty damn good at this because that's exactly where I was going to go next. And yeah. now I, was, <laughs> I do think whoever he goes with, I mean, Kiffin said, actually said as much today, like, you know, whoever we go with, we'll get the first team reps in game one. Like we're not going to do a two quarterback system like you mentioned. Right. What I was going to throw back at you is, does the up and down nature of this and the fact that we sit four or five days away, depending on when you're listening to this, away from game day, and that they seem still somewhat undecided on how um on how on who the guy is going to be, does that change your opinion on the length of the leash of the starter? And I don't mean that from a single game standpoint. You know, we talked about this last right. time, and I talked about this with the Buchanan too, and he kind of agreed with you, where it was like no, like whoever it is is going to be the guy until there's an injury or some catastrophic play. Just you say through the lens of the first four games before you get to Kentucky, right? Your first real opponent. Does that change how you look at that at all? Like, do you, do you think the leash is any shorter through that four game lens, if that makes sense at all, to maybe make a switch if the starters, you know, pedestrian, underperforming, whatever. Again, I don't think he's going to be wishy-washy in game one or game two or probably not even after Georgia Tech. But I just wonder, do you look at it any differently before the schedule really kind of stiffens up him might making a change with the guy or going back and forth. Yeah, I think there, there is a scenario where it's possible that he just isn't satisfied with what he's seen from the first guy. And like I said, we're going to use dart for this exercise. Um, I would pay real attention to that Tulsa game. If something were to happen, uh, I just don't, even though Troy, like there's kind of some, some sneaky talent on this team. It's a first-year coach who, you know, I'm obviously a huge fan of, know well, but I don't think they're going to be have the horses to beat Ole Miss on the road week one. Um, but the next two teams are just really bad. Like, I mean, Georgia Tech, from all – everything you hear is just like a bad, bad football team, which they could obviously shock all of us and end up, you know, kind of dead cat bouncing. Um, but before you get to Kentucky, you really want to have everything clicking on all cylinders. So – if Dart just kind of underperforms and just like doesn't give a lot of confidence, even if they go three and zero in those first three games, which I think they will, it the Tulsa game would be the one where Kiffin might sit back, assuming this is a scenario of him playing poorly, and be like, "Well, let's see what Luke looks like at home against an, a decent Group of Five team, because we have to make sure things are ready for Kentucky. Because if they're not, like they're going to come in Oxford and kick our ass." Uh, I don't care how much improved the run game is and the defense, I think still has a chance to be really good. But if you're not ready, like they're going to punk you. So I, I think there is a scenario where he kind of pulls one and 
maybe not yo-yo, but kind of sees what he has. I mean, maybe not in the Jim Harbaugh in Michigan sense of what he's doing over there. Uh, but that that would be the one week where if he's going to do it after naming a starter week one, I, I wouldn't be totally shocked. So you think it's Tulsa, and that's a really I get that's a smart way to look at it because I didn't think about it from that standpoint. I guess if you would, if it's a scenario where it's Dart and he doesn't play well, I guess you wouldn't want. Altmeyer's first, you know, significant start game action to be against that Kentucky defense. You'd probably rather have a little bit of a, you know, I say tune up, but you know, Tulsa sounds like a pretty decent group of five program that will have an okay yeah. this year. Um, but you wouldn't want that to come against Kentucky. You think that Tulsa game you'd circle if the quarterback play is poor to where if he does decide to make a change from whoever he names game one, you think that's where it is. Yeah, I do. And also, you don't necessarily want to be on the road in Atlanta either, even though I think Georgia Tech is going to suck this year. That's not necessarily one you want to put the uh, the technically the backup in to start his you know career, his his starts. Uh, I think Tulsa makes a ton of sense. I don't think you're going to learn anything from Troy or Central Arkansas. So I, I wouldn't just no matter how dark, bad dart plays, you still got to get that third game. And then by that point, even though you may have won all your games, it doesn't look like he wants it to look. Yes, I think Tulsa will be the one to look at. They both spoke to the media today, and I'm sure there will be plenty of folks that kind of read too much into tone or how people said what. And the the harsh reality is probably the fact that it's two 19-year-old kids standing in front of a podium for probably, I don't know, probably count on two hands how many times they've done that in that type of setting. Um, Yeah. You know, I – if you're if if you want to give me if if I can offer one wild take about strictly reading too much into it, they were both asked kind of similar questions about the decision or whatever. And Dart did talk about preparing as if he's a starter, and Luke just talked about accepting whatever the result is whenever that time comes. Probably nothing to read into that, but I just thought the way the two different ways they answered that question was a little bit interesting. You've been in a building when it's been somewhat like this before. I, I think that I still find the whole plumly corral 2020 thing nationally versus locally and the disconnect there hilarious and a little bit of an indictment on kind of the laziness of some national college football media but that's neither here nor there Ole Miss wasn't that relevant of a program at that point is it um is it awkward at all when you have two guys and no one's the guy because there was a little bit of that in 2019 when corral got hurt and then they went with Plumlee and they had a little bit of rotation but not really I know they got asked the question today and Altmeyer said, you know, we're pretty good friends. Actually. We root for each other. We have a similar sense of humor. We spend a lot of time with each other. Like I'm not asking you the obvious of like, is there any animosity between the two? I know that's not the case. They're both professional in that sense of the word, but just in the sure. building in general, even if the two guys, it's not awkward between them two. Is it weird when it's not one dude at quarterback? Like, is, is there any sense of awkwardness in a building at all? I don't know if awkward is the word. I think it's always a lot of, uh, you know, what if and what about isms that kind of roll around the building. It's like, well, if you've got this guy out here, like he could do this, or if it ends up being this guy, you know, he could probably do this better. And you watch throughout practice, you're like, you know, like, you know, Luke could have done that better, or Dark could have done that better. And you've got guys kind of all around the building, whether it's us in recruiting or even some of the coaches who are not like the offensive coordinator or the equipment guys, everyone's kind of like, who did better today? Who do you think did better today? And that doesn't necessarily get to the players, but you can kind of feel the uh, the topic kind of rising and growing and the, the rumors of what people are thinking and how the head coach is feeling about what the two guys are doing. It, it kind of spreads a little bit. 
Uh, it can get a little gossipy in football buildings, as you can imagine. Uh, I wouldn't say awkward, though. I think everyone's kind of pros. I mean, Corral and John Rice were buddies. They're not definitely not necessarily similar people or players or, you know, all the above. But like, there was no animosity between them. And, you know, I know Luke well. I've recruited him. I don't know Jackson at all. But, uh, I mean, there has been absolutely no stories, no inkling, no rumor, no nothing about any of these guys having any issue with each other. I think they're just trying to, you know, win a starting quarterback job. And I think clearly neither of them are being – are doing great at it uh, from what we can tell. But I think they are, despite that, you know, two talented players, just maybe, you know, Kiffin's pretty uh, has a pretty high bar for his play at quarterback. And clearly these guys, at least to some extent, haven't met it. So that might be the most awkward part of it all is them seeing, you know, their, their coach going to the podium and being like, you know, I've wanted to see a guy take it, but they just simply haven't done it yet. Yeah, and that's the uh, why do you, like we hit into this a second ago just a little bit, but I'm just curious. Why do you think that is? Like, part of me, if I'm going down the list, I wrote about this a little bit on Friday, but it was just like one, they're probably both 19 years old. Neither one of them have very much game experience at all. We're like the the crowd plumley thing. That not that that was a, like a you know an actual ended up being a competition, but both of them weirdly enough had like decent amount of game experience because of how weird that 2019 season turned out, right? Like Corral had like right. three or four starts coming off the bench, then Plumley ended up with like six or whatever the case may be. Like they were, I wouldn't call it season, but they certainly had more game experience than those two guys did. You've also got an entirely new coaching staff, and now Altmaier's been in the system or the program longer. Sure. You think it's just a combination of all those things? There's a lot of new and they're both super young. Like, I'm just what what do you think is the reason why they've struggled to separate from one another specifically? Um, And the last caveat I'll add to that is Buchanan's done a pretty good job outlining about how in camp it's so hard because the defense knows your plays. They do things they wouldn't normally do in scrimmage settings in terms of jumping routes. And it's just weird. Which is 100 percent true. Yeah, and so – and then, obviously, there's a whole new receiving core. Like, there's not a whole lot – do you think it's a combination of all that? I'm just curious what you think the reason that we got to this point is in terms of what they've done on the field. Yeah, I mean, for – in my opinion, for Luke, I think it's simply just a mindset thing. It's just the way he plays the game. It's the way he's gone about, you know, playing the quarterback position in this offense. You know, I don't think it's going to be – too crazy different from what you've seen with Levy. Maybe terminology is different. A few formations are different. But I think Luke just does what he does. And, you know, maybe at this point in his career, in his football playing career, that, you know, hasn't been enough. It hasn't been as aggressive. You know, he's not making the big throws necessarily. I highly doubt it's from a lack of knowledge of the system. But it may just be, you know, I don't even like saying it, but just a lack of high upside from him at this point in his career. Remember, he is 19. He is a redshirt freshman. You know, things change. You grow, you mature, you you develop, and maybe he hasn't hit that point that I think they know and feel like he can hit, which might add, add to a little bit of the frustration. I think the Dart situation is a little bit more complicated. You know, he, he came in, he went to USC, not only to mention that he blew up like crazy his senior year, because they started football like three weeks early. So that was a whirlwind in itself. Uh, ends up at USC, then ends up having to play legitimate time, which was not expected of him. Uh, his coach gets fired. So now they have an interim coach. 
uh, then his, he plays really well his first game, and then his top 10 uh, best receiver, Drake London, gets hurt, and then he gets hurt. And then Lincoln Riley comes, Caleb Williams comes. He ends up having to move to Mississippi. In this, he doesn't. He was he in spring? I can't remember. He went remember. spring. He's really strong. Yeah. He got here in February or. Uh, well, that's right. That's right. That's right. So he goes through spring. He's still at that point. You know, you think of it as spring, but it's really like he's been in Oxford for two months. So I mean, there's just been so much change and adjustment for him um, that I think it's just taking time. I don't really necessarily doubt his abilities and his, you know, just from a straight football, from a straight prospect standpoint. But I think there's just been a lot. And I know people have covered this. I know people have written about it. I know Neil's talked about it. But, I mean, that's just a lot. (laughs) I mean, it's one thing after the next, after the next. I mean, Luke has had a very kind of simple, compact, not super tumultuous career in terms of where he's been and where he's going. He just might not get to the point where I think everyone wants him to be at. Dart is like the exact opposite where like everything that I don't want to say wrong, but everything that could happen to you to change your environment, to change your mindset has happened to him. And it's happened in just incremental stages um, that maybe at this point, like he's just not gotten it yet. He's not comfortable yet. And he's not the guy similar to Luke that they think or thought he was going to be at this point in his career. You're exactly right. And, you know, I'm actually in the process of writing about this similar thing. And I've written about it a little bit in the newsletter. And we talked about it some on the show. But, you know, everything you just outlined is 100% true. That's a lot of life to live. And he's a young kid for his class. He turned 19 years old in May. And so everything you just outlined happened to him, you know, two months before his 19th birthday. I mean, that's a lot of change. And the fact that he didn't really want to leave USC, you know, he commits as the third quarterback in that class. They had Miller Moss and the Garcia kid. He beats both of them out for QB two has to play. Like you mentioned, comes back and then kind of has to do a two quarterback thing with Slovis. And then eventually kind of sort of beats him out. I don't know what you would call that because there's a lot going on with that USC team and none of it was good. And the fact that he's like risen above the kind of the dysfunction and you said it. I mean, it is bad breaks. I think you can call it that. It's poor luck because this isn't like a typical transfer to where it's like it didn't work out for him here because X, Y. He didn't really do anything wrong. I mean, the, no, the Lincoln Riley Williams thing is completely unprecedented in terms of like a package deal type of thing. And so that's a lot of change. You're right. It would take some time to get adjusted. And maybe that's the hang up with him. And it's a fascinating dynamic to kind of wrap up the quarterback piece of it. They're going to have to tell one of them by Tuesday or Wednesday, right? You don't want this thing going into the walkthrough and all that without them knowing, right? Like when's the, you know, if it's someone that's been in a building, yeah. when's the latest you want someone to know? I mean, obviously you could argue it's too late now, but like, like when is the absolute latest? I would think Wednesday is what I had in my mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to circle back to my last answer. I, it sounds like I'm kind of dogging Luke and giving Dart every excuse in the world. And I'm really not. I'm just kind of laying out my, my thought process on yeah. what maybe they're going through when they're looking at this and thinking about it. Cause I mean, I'm the biggest Luke Altmaier fan there is. I mean, I, I really genuinely like the kid a lot. He was one of my favorite recruits ever. I just don't know where they're at there and dark. I mean, those are just facts with him. Um, so just want to get that out of the way real quick before people are just like, Oh, this kid, you know, is just dogging Luke. Cause that's definitely not the case at all. You're right. Real quick to add on that to two, just like you're right. Uh, one and two, it's, it's, it's really just an indecisiveness thing. It sounds like, and not pushing the ball yeah. down the field. And like you said, that can change. 
you know, the million dollar question is how that gets changed, but that doesn't mean sure. he's a bad quarterback, right? It's no, getting comfortable. No, 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 he's no, no, still no, no, no. young in his own right. I didn't take it as you dog and Luke either, but it, it, you know, good to clarify or whatever, but just to add to your point, it's not a bad thing. It's just outlining both scenarios, which I think you did a good job of anyway. Yeah. It's like not, not every red shirt freshman is Bryce young. I mean, yes, it, it exactly. is not that it is not that easy. Uh, I promise. Uh, but what, your, your last question. Uh, yeah. It's gotta be at least Tuesday or Wednesday. I mean, you have to maybe one more practice, um, you know, a, a Hail Mary chance for either one of them to kind of do something, which is ridiculous. I mean, that, that will not be the case. Uh, but yeah, I mean, walk through, I mean, they don't even really practice on Fridays. They barely even practice on Thursdays. Um, so my guess is like by Wednesday, they may either announce it out loud or they'll definitely announce it within the team and then maybe it'll leak or something. But it's got to be at least by then. Taking a look around, I mean, look, we won't go through the entire 2D, but I do think it's a decent guide for some, you know, general talking points and other storylines concerning this team they put out the two deep Kiffin puts no stock in the two deep I want to go back and look at last year's Sugar Bowl program because one the two deep did not change from August on and I think there were one or two <laughs> who were like literally not still with the program on the two deep so if you're out there wondering you know what it, what this initial depth chart means for Ole Miss um nothing and I, I would kill to be I say killed that's probably a strong word I would I would find it humorous to be a fly on the wall when whatever media relations guy approached Kiffin about filling out the two deep and just the sense of oh my god voice was yeah. probably just at an all-time high he, he I don't generally put a not a, a lot of stock into it but with the amount of new that's on this team it is a bit of a uh you know I would call it a general guide I think is the way I described it a second ago and I think that's probably pretty apt we'll get back to Weldon Rodenberg in just a second but first a quick word from our sponsor BetterHelp this podcast is sponsored and brought to you by better help you ever had trouble focusing maybe there's a lot on your mind feeling a little bit of stress a little bit of anxiety you need to try better help it's a proven online therapy service that can get you hooked up with a therapist in as quick as 48 hours you can go on video you can go audio only to where you don't even uh, or you can go in person you don't even have to see someone face to face if you don't want to it can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem solving mode when faced with the challenge in life Therapy is just like anything else. You know, we put gas in our cars, we get our oil changed, we get the tires rotated. Your brain's no different. How you treat your brain affects how you go through life. Therapy's uh, nice. It's kind of nice just talking to somebody, you know, and kind of getting it all out there. It's very laid back and it's uh, it's super helpful. You need to try it. Betterhelp.com. Check them out. Use the promo code MPW and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, our friends at BetterHelp. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Rights subscriber. That's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me. Uh, the Friday one drew a lot of new signups. I wrote a bit about kind of a change lane. Kiffin, I appreciate the feedback on that and uh, all the new signups. So thank you. It's a free newsletter, but it also gets you discounted meats. If you're a subscriber, you get a 16-ounce prime strip from LB's and a five, for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Oxford is so lucky to have a meat market like LB's. There's all kinds of delicious stuff and cuts and fresh seafood and sausages. It's grilling season. Weather's eventually going to get cooler. Football's on the television. Go buy LB's and get something incredible to throw in the grill. Tri-tip, filet burgers, whatever the case may be, go find your own favorites at LB's and enjoy the grilling season. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon Rodenberg. The thing that sticks out to me, 
and Neil, Neil had been all over this for the last week or so, is what they're going to do at the tackle positions. And this gets into your neck of the woods, too, from a recruiting standpoint, because I believe, and I didn't have time to listen to it, I wish I had before we started recording, but it just became a time crunch thing. I believe that um, Mason Brooks acknowledged on the Mason Brooks show with Neil that Jaden Williams, the freshman that's blown up, um, will start at left tackle. Now, the depth chart says Jeremy James at left tackle, Jaden Williams second string with Mason Brooks starting at right tackle. But what was kind of the scuttlebutt before this was released, and I don't think this necessarily changes anything, was that they're actually going to go with the freshman at left tackle, Jeremy James to right tackle, and Mason Brooks is kind of a fill-in across the board. And, you know, the odds of them making it through all 12 games of five linemen is uh, is probably pretty slim. But just what did you make of that initially? It seems like on the surface it's a pretty good problem to have because it doesn't sound like anyone is, you know, ridiculously underwhelmed it sounds like they've had a freshman blow up they have a really good player in jeremy james and they added another really good one in mason brooks it's a weird dynamic but what do you kind of make of this whole situation three man with two chairs type of thing yeah to me honestly it's really really exciting uh i I think Jaden williams i was kind of thinking about it before we got on it's probably my favorite offensive lineman we ever saw let's start Um, there how is he doing this um, I mean, he was – so he's a pretty under-recruited kid out of Arkansas. And I remember when he first kind of was brought up. I can't even remember who who brought him to anybody. Uh, but he was just the prototypical guy from the beginning of me working there to the end that we wanted to recruit at offensive tackle. He wanted to recruit a guy with just really good feet, really athletic, had the height, the length, the size, but maybe just wasn't there yet. Maybe he was just a little small or maybe lacked a little bit of power, just needed some development, you know, under 300 pounds out of high school. So you're adding good weight, not taking off bad. I mean, just like perfect. You know, he doesn't have the, the pedigree or the hierarchy of like a five-star kid, but those guys are, you know, a dime a dozen. And we just really, really like this guy. And to see him as a redshirt freshman, I, it sounds like he's going to be starting at left tackle is, is awesome. I, that to me is not a concern. I mean, of course there will be growing pains. This is the SEC. Uh, it's not easy to start at left tackle as a freshman. Old Miss is like the weirdest school in the country that since 2014 they've had basically, or 2013 they've had a freshman left tackle starting every single year, at least from the beginning of his career to the end. Um, that is just unheard of. I, I don't think you can name another team in the country where they've had three straight true freshman left tackles starting at least taking the starting position at some point in the year. I know Tunsil and Greg Little maybe didn't start in the beginning. I think maybe not even Nick, but like by game four, true freshman all the way. And, you know, obviously he's a red shirt, but, you know, it's not that that big of a difference. It, it is a little bit. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of this kid, love this kid out of high school. Really exciting that he has taken that position. And I'm, to be quite honest, not super surprised at all. Um, and then Mason Brooks, a transfer kid who's played a ton of snaps to have a guy like that is utility. And if he's got, you know, the football IQ to be able to play left, right, left guard, right guard, you know, even center possibly, I, I don't know about that, but uh, that's just a pretty invaluable piece to have where you can keep everyone intact, everyone in their place where they're most comfortable or where they've been practicing. And then, you know, if an injury or just, you know, straight fatigue happens during a game, you have a, a very confident, and a solid player to bring in is awesome. 
it is a good problem to have, but it's also can be a little bit of a tricky one to manage because, and this gets into the recruiting aspect of this is it appears, I, I don't know whether you want to go off the depth chart or kind of what's been reported. Um, it appears that at least initially that Brooks is kind of the odd man out. He will, you know, if, if what he acknowledged on that podcast is the case again, I don't know that I need to go back. Uh, I did not listen. Sorry, Neil. So I, I don't really have the background of what he said. I don't either, but I, I, I talk, I saw it on the board and I, I, I kind of dis- discussed it a little bit, but point being, if he is, let's just say if to be safe, if he is kind of the odd man out, at least for the time being, you know, that is not what he signed up for. And I know, look, Hey, you got to come in and you have to prove it. And if a you know, freshman blows up and he plays really well, and you're the third best guy by the coach's view at the two tackle spots, then it is what it is. I think, you know, in some sense, sure. it's not that complicated, but it does sound like it's kind of close. Um, Brooks did miss a week of camp. He got his bell rung in a scrimmage, and I missed a little bit of time. Every day counts in that truncated time period. It does. But how do you kind of handle this? Because I talked to Brooks for that NIL story. He called himself at one point a hired gun, and I don't mean that in like a weird way, like he was describing his recruitment. He has one year left. He wanted to get you know higher-level college football tape for professional scouts. He was very businesslike in how he approached his recruiting. He didn't want pictures. And I think he like literally requested with every other school, like bring me a playbook and a plan for how you want to use me. I don't want to go shoot photos with the production team. I don't want any of that. Like <laughs> I just school, want like to know how you're going to help me get better us win games and me hopefully get to the NFL. And that's not sure. uncommon with this comp with this, you know, modern day age transfer portal. But again, now that it ends up in, you know, it's simplest form. This is not necessarily what he signed up for. And he seems like a really good kid with a really awesome personality. Um, it's a really good story because he was a scrawny guy for lineman's sake out of high school, kind of made himself into a good player. It's the kind of guy you want. So I'm saying you want uh, the guys that are not to take off the weight. You need to put it on. Uh, yes. You know, doesn't always happen, but that's like the kind of prospect you look for. So. Does that factor into the decision-making at all? I'll just cut right to the chase. You have a freshman who's going to have a very bright career. You have Jeremy James, who's kind of in sort of an NFL year, depending on how it turns out. I think he probably had his sight set on some left tackle. I don't know if moving to right chaps his butt at all. I don't really know anything about that. But you do have the Brooks aspect of it. Well, do the fact that Williams is a redshirt freshman, Brooks has one year left, it presumably being close, I get the simplest answer is no, the best combination play, but do you factor that? Like, do you think the coaching staff factors any of that in at all? Well, I think the situation is kind of out of Brooks's hands. I mean, he doesn't have a choice. You know, if he hasn't, you know, convinced the coaches that he's a starter and Jaden Williams has, that's just, that's just that, Um, you know, you're not going to play or transfer just so that you can tell that transfer next year, that, hey, this guy came in and started immediately and then got drafted. You know, the guy's got to earn it no matter what. Um, I've always kind of in my mind said this and maybe on here, but there was a lot of this talk about, you know, Jeremy moving to left tackle and Nick moving to left guard because that's what they're going to play in the NFL and it's best for them in their future. I could be totally wrong, but I always just see that as total BS. I, I, I think they're moved there because it's best for this team right now. Uh, I, I don't That's really a great think point. the whole and the, the to, not to cut you off, but the just to no, have, go ahead. The, the Nick aspect of it that happened and it was kind of I'd say reported, kind of you know, told that way. 
because it was best for his NFL feature because arm link was a big thing for him, but it also happened to be best for the team. And that's why it happened that way. And I think that's a good point you make. That's important. It's like, they're not going to go detriment to the team because they promised to give for his NFL feature. That only happens when it also happens to be for the betterment of the football team. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. 100% correct. And that is the case with, I think, both players. I think Jeremy going to left tackle, Nick going to left guard, and then working on the right tackle with Brooks in the beginning was not only best, like you said, best for them, their NFL futures, but I don't really care about that. And to be honest, I, I don't believe anyone in that building. I mean, they do care, but not enough to, you know, screw up what they have with the team and play the best five out there. Um, now they had a kind of a, a situation arise that was maybe not thought about or maybe not considered where you've got a guy that just has been too good to not play. And in that case, you just have to adjust. And what they've done is they've adjusted the line back to where it was. I guess what's Jeremy at right, Nick left guard, Jade Williams left tackle, and Brooks is the utility guy. That's just what it is. And for Brooks, I mean, he seems to have some, you know, pretty impressive self-awareness of the situation, what his idea was going in here. And I would have to guess, you know, if he's a pro, call himself a hired gun, he's going to take this situation, this, you know, what they've got going on here with in stride and, you know, make it happen, play as well as he can when he's in there. And also for all we know, even though they, you know, said this and whatnot come Saturday, it could be Jeremy at left and Mason at right. Yep. And we'll see what happens. Um, that doesn't sound like it's going to be the case, but it definitely could. Um, but in terms of Brooks, he doesn't really have a choice at this point. <laughs> he's here. He is not starting as of rumors or, you know, maybe not rumors, but uh, that's just how it is. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that gets down to the, you're right there. You can't I mean, look, he's, you know, he's the hot, like, as he put it, a hired gun, like he has the one year left, the the pouting and, you know, checking out. And he, he's, he's, again, I'll reiterate a hundred times. This is hypothetical. He seems like a really good kid. Um, that when he arrived at Ole Miss was kind of a really turmoil time in his own life because of the tornadoes that hit Western Kentucky last year. He actually has a pretty wild story from when that hit. Um, but you're right. I mean, he's a good kid, but like to him, even if he were like, you know, pissed off and like to hell with this, that's not doing him any good. Like he needs, absolutely not. He needs 12, 13 games. That is what it is. He's going to play a lot. He's going to contribute. You know, who knows how this all ends up shaking out? Like you said, it could go chalk in terms of the depth chart they released. We don't really know, but that is definitely something that's arisen. And then to get to the root of it, kind of back to where we started, this is all everything we've kind of discussed is is a testament to just how good Jaden Williams has been, right? Where you have two guys that are good off it. Presumably, I haven't seen Brooks play at this level, obviously. Good SEC offensive lineman, exterior offensive lineman in their own right. And this redshirt freshman is so damn good that he's kind of disrupting the apple cart there and causing them to move it around. Because, you know, if it were equal, wouldn't you just go with the older two guys? You know, and yeah, not necessarily probably. to avoid it, but like he, like this underscores how good that kid has been for this to even be, you know, somewhat of a subplot. Yeah, that's that's the story. It, it's not, you know, look at it in the positive. Don't look at the, you know, quote unquote negative on this situation. The the story is that Jaden Williams has taken a position, not that Mason Brooks has necessarily lost one. Yeah, you know, those two things are not, you know, not mutually exclusive. Not the same thing. Uh, Jaden Williams has clearly has played so well that you cannot. You has to be on the field. Can't take him off. He, he's done that well during spring and fall in his development. Um, and then, you know, it's a nice Swiss Army knife of a player who they believe can play guard and tackle to have going in any, really any situation. 
Uh, I'm a little nervous about, you know, the sixth guy, the seventh guy, um, the eighth guy. You know, you'd like to have at least three that can come in and play. And, you know, they might have that, and, you know, either whether it's Pettis, McIntyre, or another one of these guys. But, uh, no, this is a t- definitely more of a testament to Jaden than it is a knock on Brooks necessarily. Jalen Cunningham is on the two deep as the second string right guard behind Eli. <laughs> so I should, does that kind of lend itself to what you're talking about? Wasn't he on defense for a little bit? Uh, he's gone back and forth. I okay. mean, he, he was on offensive line back to defense and clearly he's back to offense. I think he even switched like in the season last year. I mean, he's like, he's gotta be on his sixth year by this point. Um, now I've always said and always saw during practice, like, this kid got his head on straight. Like he has a chance to be a really good football player. Uh, he has n- never shown that on the field. So I don't necessarily see a scenario where that changes this year, but that that does lend yourself to being a little bit concerned about the depth they have there. Yeah, you're right. And look, they could move this around, like just to go down the depth chart really quick. If Kate, like, you know, for those out there listening to kind of get a picture, the left tackle was James Jaden Williams. Nick Broker at left guard was Cedric Nicely or Cedric Melton behind him. Center is Caleb Warren with Reese McIntyre behind him. Right guard is Eli Acker with Cunningham, like I just mentioned. And right tackle, per the depth chart, Mason Brooks, Micah Pettis. Now, obviously, some guy goes down, they're going to start shuffling things around, right? Like, you know, it's not one – like, if Eli Acker twists an ankle, it does not necessarily mean Jalen Cunningham is running off the bench because that's what this says. That's actually not even necessarily – that's probably not what it means at all. When you talk about the seventh and eighth guys – they have six, as we just outlined with one of these guys on the exterior kind of being an odd man out. When you're looking for that seventh and eighth guy, I kind of go toward the the Reese McIntyre, um, Micah Pettis type group. I mean, said Melton's a guy that seems like he's been there his third year. Like, wh- who do you think the two likely candidates out of that kind of group of three or four are? Yeah, uh, I would kind of agree with you. McIntyre's played guard on both sides during his career, so he's probably a guy that would be plug in, plugged in to either left or right. Um, I think the, the tackle spots, you know, if one of those guys has an issue, you know, Brooks comes in on either side or he comes on the right side, Jeremy comes in the left, or if it's the right, if that's the issue, um, you know, he just comes straight in on the right, keep Jaden on the left. Uh, Nicely or Melton are probably a guy that you can play some snaps at both guard. I don't know who – I mean, if Reese is the backup center, that's a little concerning. I think Caleb is solid at that spot, but, you know, you definitely don't want him going down. That's kind of can be the most important lineman just in terms of signaling and having a connection with the quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some guys who can play, who have played, who have some experience. Um, but there's also some very unknown young guys who have some promise. Uh, but, it, it, yeah, trying to find that sixth, seventh, eighth uh, official guys, it, there's definitely a few, but it's not overly, uh, I don't want to say exciting, but they, there's some concern, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And kind of keeping uh, kind of keeping on down the depth chart, the receiver piece of it is exa- that gave us the exact same amount of clarity as we had before, which is pretty much no clarity. <laughs> Bingo was named a starter. Every other receiving position has an or by it. It slots J.J. Sure. or J.J. Henry or Quay Davis. Um, the only thing that sticks out at this one is, I will say, um, I got to be honest, until about two weeks ago, I didn't know who Dayton Wade Jr. was. Or excuse me. Dayton. Same thing. I had no idea. Who he, was. he comes out and talks last week. He's had a pretty good camp. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Um, I do not see Dennis Jackson on here. I don't I see him. 
Wait, is, where? is he not right? Is he not right under Mingo? Oh yeah, I just can't see. There we go. That, see, that's why we got two of us on here. That you're exactly right. Yep. He's right behind Mingo. Um, so really, nothing else is surprising. It doesn't sound like we got a ton of clarity there at all. Um, what do you make of Quay Davis actually making the two deep? Like, I don't like. I mean, they did put a third guy, and he's the third guy in the slot thing. I don't remember much about his recruitment. What's kind of? He's an older kid. What's? Yeah, what's he's a JUCO guy. I think. He was kind of came on late when we we really needed receivers, and this is the exact kind of scenario I talked to Lebby about. Um, that like you know we had some really good receivers with with Elijah and Mingo and and Braylon. I was like, but you know those guys are going to be gone, and Dontario, like some some solid guys you knew could play and play at a high level. And the whole time we were just talking like, man, like we've got guys that are starters, but when all these guys are gone, like we, this, this room is not going to look like an Ole Miss receiver room. Like we have got to get, whether it's just by the bulk or really go all in on a few of these guys that like we've just got to get some, some bodies in here. And uh, I mean, there's a little concern, definitely concern at receiver. I think, you know, the way this offense runs, you know, starters are going to be starters, but they, they go so fast other offenses go fast. I mean, all these guys are going to play, but there are definitely some guys I don't see on here, Quay being one of them. Um, I mean, he, he was a late kind of add-on, a guy that, you know, had some pretty good film at JUCO, but I think we, we wanted Malik McLean, that's at Florida State, who started as a true freshman, and I thought we had him. And there's some board rumors that I've read in the past about what happened, and to be quite honest, I don't remember exactly what happened um but he ended up at florida state uh we got quay clearly hasn't worked out that's just life but that's not the only one i mean i don't see any brandon buckhalter on here and he's a guy that we were pretty high on i mean he he has been not even spoken of since he's gotten to campus in my i mean i don't even know if he hurt I think I haven't seen a, anything on I'm going to confirm this in just a second. I'm pretty sure Kiffin mentioned him as one of the injured guys. I don't know that for a fact. Let me confirm that real quick. No, we just confirmed it. He's not one of the two hurt ones. The, that, those, that name in Braylon Brown is the one that stuck out to me. I don't know about you. Um, cause yeah, Braylon, Braylon, this is kind of a weird deal. Cause it sounded like he was coming on early last year. Um, to be quite honest, he was a guy who was ranked really highly, who had, you know, he's a guy we really wanted. His junior film was really, really good. Levy had been around him because he had been to camp at UCF. He had seen him in person. He's like, dude, this guy's a specimen. And, you know, we all were in agreement. It was kind of a weird COVID deal. Couldn't really get him on campus. Senior year comes around. His stuff just didn't look as good, in my opinion. And I think there were some other people that had the same opinion. Um, but he was just so physically gifted that it was like, we're going to take this kid. We're not dropping a kid for St. Thomas. Like we believe in like the upside, the talent. And in my opinion, it's not to me specifically, not super surprising that he hasn't broken into this group yet. I, I could see something like this coming, even though just, you know, height, weight, speed kind of guy that I just never believed in his hips or his hands. Uh, it's kind of a weird thing you know, to say that because it sounds like I'm like super down on him and I, maybe I was coming out, but, um, you know, but that's another young guy that you know, just hasn't come on and, you know, you got you to hit on those uh, because next thing you know, with receiver, the way, like I said, the way this offense runs, a lot of these guys play because it's so fast. There's so many snaps. You want guys running at full speed at all times. 
Um, and, you know, of course, the opposite of that is you've got a guy like J.J. Henry, who everyone loved on staff coming out, who's showing exactly what we thought he could be. And he's got a ton of praise. So, you know, there's ups and there's downs. You know, you, you don't go 100%. Um, but it's great to see J.J. as an or because I think he might end up even being a starter because it sounds like he's played really well and has been fully healthy. Uh, so that's awesome to see. Yep, and it was uh, – I finally found the note. It was Breedlove, who's not a receiver, had the injury, but I got his name. Yeah. Burkhalter. I knew Kiffin said one of those two guys today, but I couldn't in the moment as we sure. talked about it. Uh, All good. Remember which one it was. But that's going to be a fascinating one to watch the first four games. Like, I think you'll be able to tell small things. Obviously, when, you know, when you get to SEC play, it's going to be a whole different animal. But I think you'll kind of be able to see some small things throughout these first three games about how the receiver piece shakes out. Uh, defensively, no real surprises. You did have starters named at every single position, except for one of the end spots where they went like an or with Tavius or Ivy. I think that paints a vague picture of exactly what we've talked about for a couple of weeks. They've got real sec depth. And if, you know, if you want to call if you're an old Miss fan looking at this and you want to call, you know, one part of the depth chart, the most, uh, encouraging or the prettiest looking picture that defensive line's got some really good names on it. And they look like they have some, real oh, yeah. depth. and it's, uh, that's going to be real. Now, linebacker, probably a little bit of concern because as the NFL preseason turns on, the two guys they lost, the transfers, um, Robinson and um, Chance Campbell, those are going to be tough to replace. And they were a big part while Ole Miss was a little bit better against the run in the second half of the season. Big shoes to fill with some guys that haven't played a ton of football. You get Austin Keys back healthy. I don't know what to make of Shistrunk. We'll see if Troy Brown is an SEC-level linebacker. Um but that, to yeah. me, is probably the biggest question mark because the secondary looks pretty loaded in its own right. I'd say the biggest surprise there, um, or not surprise if you've been keeping up with camp, but the biggest development there is the fact that uh, Davison Igbenosin, I've been saying it that way for three months. Did, did I get the phonetic pronunciation wrong? Am I going to have to shame myself? How do you say it? I say Igbenosin, but I don't think – I definitely don't think I'm right. I think you're closer than I am. Uh, I actually do. I do not know how to pronounce his name officially. Is it kind of like they do it like in the the NFL and NBA, like they give you the program? Does it have the pronunciation of the name below it? I think the game day one has it because game day does. Yeah, because I remember that that from a few years ago. So we'll 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 get our well embedded uh, sources in there on (laughs) to figure out what the hell the no idea (laughs) the phonetic pronunciation is. but that's a kid, another – we talked about the last time I wrote about it on Friday's newsletter, this uh, the Northeast. Partridge getting good players that actually contribute on this team out of the Northeast, and that's another example. And, you know, I haven't heard anyone say a bad thing or he's not ready or anything. Everything I've heard about that kid is, is like, wow, he's been awesome. And, you know, you crack the two deep on this secondary, even if it's Kiffin's version of a two deep, that's, that's not nothing. That's pretty impressive. No, I mean, you see MJ Daniels there. Um, it's good to see him. He's on that list. Uh, he's a guy who I just think is going to come on eventually. I just – I will it myself if it has to be. I mean, I just – that kid, I really, really, really think a lot about him. I think he's going to be a really good player at some point once he gets his head on straight. I know he had some some portal stuff there, and, you know, you never know what's going on with these kids. But strictly talent-wise, like, I think he is going to see the field uh, Aishim Young is back after his uh, dispute or whatever the hell happened. I have no idea. Uh, I know there was something. So it's good to see him starting. All legend. <laughs> yeah, all legend. I have no idea what the hell happened, but something happened. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, Kari Coleman playing 
at one of the uh, stand-up backer, not stand-up backers, one of the off-ball backers. I guess that, that would be Mike, if I had to guess. Uh, it's interesting. He was a guy who played kind of that <coughs> – excuse me – that buck outside linebacker, almost a defensive end role in TCU's defense, um, but he was obviously a little undersized. So moving him back there is kind of interesting. And he's not officially a starter, but he's definitely going to play some snaps. Uh, he's got real speed, but just from an instinct standpoint, how will he transition to that? Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the defense, I don't think there was ever, like, a whole bunch of question marks on who was going to be the starters or who was going to be playing a lot, um, which is nice. That, that's, that's a rarity for Ole Miss and hasn't been that case for – quite a few years now. I mean, you got a pretty solid, you know, bulk of depth at, at a lot of different positions. Yeah, linebacker, maybe not as much as others, but from what I've heard, the the, the two freshmen, Willis from Georgia and the kid from Virginia have been really good too. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them if they have to, you know, kind of contribute to this team. But that's true freshman playing linebacker in the SEC is not – something you want or see a lot, but it's a credit to them for at least being brought up as well. I think if there is like a soft spot and they end up kind of getting gashed against the run and getting someone earlier, that ends up being a recurring problem. It's probably because of the drop-off at linebacker, right? I mean, with the the sounds of it, with the camp that Pagis has had and just, you know, the snaps he did play at Auburn, like that defensive line, I'd be shocked if they struggled a ton. It just – if there is a drop-off and they end up kind of having a bad performance or two in one of those important games in early October, don't you think it's the fact that there's probably just a drop-off at linebacker from a year ago? Because, man, they lost two really good ones. Yeah, I mean, it's looking more like that, you know, every single day with the way Robinson and Campbell have played in the NFL. And, I mean, I'll be the first one to say I love Chance Campbell as a college player. I didn't necessarily see it in the NFL just the way that – that game has changed where, I mean, if you, if you can't cover a, a slot receiver at linebacker, you just simply don't play. Um, and I didn't know if he could do it. He most certainly clearly has been able to show that he can do it because I mean, it sounds like he's making that team and it's not just special teams. Like he's playing, which is a credit to him. And that's really, really impressive. And shoot Mark Robinson. I mean, it'll be tough to make that team just with what they've got at linebacker there, but you never know. I mean, he's, he's played pretty well in the preseason. I mean, that, those are two really good players. And, you know, I do think a lot of Austin Keys, Brown, and Sistrunk, and, you know, Coleman's a little bit of a question mark. So I, I think it's just inevitable that there is at least some sort of drop in production and ability. But uh, I don't necessarily believe it's going to be just some something astronomical, especially with the depth of defensive line that will kind of help out the linebackers not having to fill every single gap they have because you've got guys making – some disruptive plays on the interior and exterior of the defensive line. My favorite part of the depth chart to wrap it up, uh, it appears the punter that they got from the kegger did have some conditioning issues and that the uh, the uh, the other punter um, is back and reclaiming his job. Sounds like Fraser Mason is fine. I don't know anything about Fraser Mason. Is he Australian? That sounds like an Aussie name. I could have just made he, that. He's one of the uh, – talk about higher guns. He's one of the Aussie guys from that one Australian punter trainer that, like, you basically put a down oh, hell yeah. payment. Like a, you basically put, like, a down payment a year beforehand, and, you know, that's your guy. If you, if you go get one from Australia, he's freaking coming. You don't care where he's going uh, as long as he's got his scholarship and you kind of talked to him and smoothed it over, then you got yourself an Aussie. So it's, it's – very weird. We had a uh, who was the coach that was doing special teams? Um, 
my guy from Texas who was on staff, whose name escapes me, who dropped the interception against Texas Tech, um, literally was on staff while I was there. He was a DB special teams coach. What? Regardless. Oh, yeah. Um, no, Blake Gideon. I'm sorry. Okay. Gideon. He, like, gave, like, this whole dissertation on how the Aussie system worked, and it was fascinating. That's like It's a podcast in itself about these these Aussie guys who – it is a weird deal. But, yeah, they got him. He was part of that class of, of two years ago, and he finally made it here. Sounds like he's healthy. Cool. Go punters. Yeah, I just, it's a shame for old Charlie Pollock, but, hey, they always had that uh, 10 days. That just cracks me up. I, and it's only punting for those Aussies. I asked Will – um gleason one time i was doing a story on wonderlick for like an in-house deal and they're buddies and he kind of screws with them to lighten the mood before he goes out and makes a kick and i was like well if he goes down can you kick and he was like hell no nah, mate i can't kick for shit like we're punting only um so it's it there's there's no carry over there i will no. ask you, <laughs> it does sound like there has not been a lot of traction made in the uh hot p category uh at the kicker <laughs> last year i don't think there's been much traction made in that appeal because uh our guy um oh my god i'm blanking on his name who's the awesome kicker last year oh, i don't even, I, can't, I can't even remember his name either I keep bad. Keep I'm sorry. No, this no, is I, bad podcast <laughs> oh this is terrible podcast my, he's from man he's from louisiana too he's from yes, mandeville I, kid i cannot remember his name for the life of me though oh <laughs> it's so bad Caden costa i don't know why that yes costa costa, just, costa costa yeah. i'm looking at too many names <laughs> up here he is not on the 2d whatever you want to make of that and then you may know the answer to this. You may have no clue. Why do you need a kickoff specialist? Why can the kicker not kick off? Um, they have a two deep of kickoff specialist. That's two different dudes. Yeah, I mean, what a I sweet gig. Yeah, I, I mean, they've had that as kind of a thing in college football for a while. I mean, I guess it's very different. I, oh, I don't see, really know the the full answer to that question for you. It's Cruz on there twice. See, I, I'm looking at long snapper. This is to, I'm not on my A game today. It's it's the neither kid. am I. I can't even remember these kids' names. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you will have a designated kickoff guy because he's got a stronger leg, like running, and then okay. you know, field goal. I guess is a different kind of technique where some guys are just better at it. I know nothing about this Cruz guy. I mean, no, kicking is very important. Now, of course, this team doesn't kick field goals like ever, so it's maybe less important than than most squads. But I mean. I think the guy was a transfer. I'm sure they at least watched some of his stuff, which was always my favorite thing to do is watch field goal kickers. Um, but who knows? I, I do not know. that. I have no kind of analysis or update for you on that. I'm sorry. That first part, though, about the stronger leg was a great answer to just an awful segment by me. Before we get to soccer corner, I'd be remiss if we didn't go – I, you know, I thought about doing like a list of like predictions or whatever, but that's more like geared toward written content. And honestly, it would be so much unknown on this team. It'd be a weird exercise. If I set the over under on this team wins at seven and a half, which way are you going? So that's an interesting question because you can get two different numbers out there. You can get an eight floating around at like plus money and a seven and a half at like maybe like a little bit juice. Um, I mean, I guess I'll give you my thoughts, predictions. Seven and a half is is like the perfect number, I think. You know, obviously Vegas does what they're doing. I, I can see this team getting to eight. I can give you a really high upside way of getting to nine. I personally cannot get you to 10. Um, in my opinion, I think this team starts out seven and oh, which sounds crazy. I think so too. I, I do think they, I do, I think Kiffin's teams, for whatever reason, play 
a lot better at home. I think you've seen it, even though 2020 is a weird COVID year, um, they looked like a completely different team home and road. I mean, even that Florida game, they, the, the score looked bad, but that team played really well that day against a really good Florida team. First game out, I mean, obviously the Alabama game. And then you saw the games. I mean, at LSU was, I mean, a crazy game. At Arkansas was a disaster. I think even go back to last year. I mean, I know they won that Tennessee game, but I wouldn't call that an overly stellar performance with the exception of Corral just literally putting the team on his back like Atlas shrugged. I mean, that was – you may never see that kind of performance again. You think about um, what are the road games. The the Auburn game, obviously injuries, so there is context to these, but they they didn't play very well at Auburn. And then, of course, at home, it's like you play a great game against LSU, a great game against Texas A&M. So I I think at home they beat Kentucky. I think they go beat Vanderbilt despite my new fandom. And I do think they beat Auburn, though – I will never pencil in an Auburn win for Ole Miss because it just doesn't happen. I know people on this side have said that. People in life have said that, but it's just a fact. I mean, they have they just don't do it. Even in years they're better, even in years and they're not better, and they should win the game. They just for some reason it never happens. Then you get to the back half. Um, I I just don't. I, I'm pretty high on LSU this year. Um, it's not a homer pick. It's because I just think Brian Kelly knows what he's doing. I think they're going to get competent quarterback play, and they've got some some kind of groups on that team that are incredibly talented and some that are definitely question marks. Um, but going there, playing that game, LSU's front half of the schedule is not totally difficult, um, so they'll be up for that. I, I don't. I think Ole Miss loses that game. Uh, I don't think they beat Texas A&M on the, A&M on the road. I don't think they beat Alabama at home because I don't think anyone's beating Alabama this year. Um, I think they lose the Arkansas game. I, I think that is an incredibly difficult place to play. It is going to be circled. And, like, one of the low-key most important factors of looking at gambling is the revenge factor yep. in the NFL and college. It's a real thing. It is a real handicapping tool. I think that's going to be a tough, tough, tough place to play. Uh, but I do think they come back and beat Mississippi State at home because I think the matchups – uh, favor Ole Miss in that game with what Mississippi State does. Uh, so that's a very long-winded answer to I would say eight and four is where I get this team. I think I go over as well and get to the eight. I'm with you. I don't necessarily see ten. I could give you a path to nine if some breaks fell their way. Sure. But, I, mean, I can get you a path to six and six too pretty, oh, yeah. pretty quickly. The path to that is losing it to Kentucky. Um, that's losing. That would be losing to Kentucky and then you drop the Auburn or the state game, right? I mean, that seems like the most logical path. I mean, we're going to outline all this and the season always ends up playing out in sane ways that we never could have predicted. Right. Um, Like, like with a lame duck last year, like fired, like that version of them, that injured version of them, like didn't necessarily not seeing that that again. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so, you know, it's, it's weird because I mean, that you start off seven and oh, and I, I mean, I think they lose four games in a row. Will they, you know, who knows? Uh, but that it's a weird season because I think this is going to be a pretty good football team, maybe even a, a, a very good football team. But just with the way the schedule's set up, the other teams that you're playing, I mean, that's just – you got to play who's on your schedule, and it's not easy. It's not easy if they were, like, an exceptionally good team. Even if Matt Corral was a quarterback for this team, the way the schedule sets up and who they're playing, it'd still be really difficult. Um, so, I mean, like I said, I can get you to nine and three. I can 
point, I can provide you with a reasoning for 10 and two, I wouldn't be doing it like in my opinion, with any honesty, um, but it's not impossible by any means, but I mean, I could go the other way too. There, there's a lot of variance and, you know, just, I guess, from a gambling perspective, if you see a number like eight, I mean, I couldn't in good faith get you put money on that because I think that's kind of at that number, you know, you're really, you're, you're hoping for a push at best seven and a half. I think you can get to eight. So I can see that number as, as a win in my opinion, but it's not going to be easy. And that doesn't mean I don't think this team is good. I just playing out the schedule, the situation. I mean, they were placing two coordinators, their best player on offense, best player on defense. I mean, there's just a lot of unknowns and, you know, I, they're filling these gaps of players with some pedigree and some young guys that are stepping up, but you know, only Alabama and maybe Georgia these days can just lose all they've lost and come back without really any bumps in the road. Um, and it's been said over and over, but the, the schedule they have is it's a blessing and a curse because I think they'll start off well, but I, there might be at least a little bit of fool's gold with that start as well. We'll see what happens, but that, that's kind of where I see it going in a very useless <laughs> and, uh, kind of prediction that I've got for you. It does. And it's, it's a, the schedule is a double-edged sword, but one thing it is a net positive, it is going to be a fascinating team. Like, I don't know if they're as good as last year. I very much as I outlined doubt it, but in terms of the way the schedule shuts up, the newness, the quarterback thing, like I thought last year's team would be pretty interesting, but like just the, the possibilities and the variants make this team, I think they're going to be incredibly compelling to watch play even if yeah. they don't end up being good. Cause you're right. There is a path to six and six too. So I think we fall kind of in the same boat there. And I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of diving in deeper and figuring out um, kind of what this ends up looking like. We, uh, we have an announcement before we get to the fastest growing segment on American soil for the first two weeks of football season, you will be on that side of the pond. I believe the higher ups at rivals were like, you know, this segment's doing numbers. we got to get this kid into some camps, <laughs> um, watching some matches over there. You are headed to Europe. Uh, the re reason I described is not exactly why you're headed, but you are headed over uh, to that side of the pond, correct? Yes, uh, I'm leaving Friday. Uh, my fiance and I are headed to Europe. It was a trip we planned for a while. It was kind of sort of where we were going to get engaged, but um, didn't end up that way. Kind of popped it a little bit sooner than I was expecting. Um, but for the sake of this podcast, we will be attending a soccer game, soccer yeah. match, football match, whatever. So I got that for you. I did have quite the uh, the 10 seconds of super excitement followed by like a few hours of deep depression because I'm actually going to be in San Sebastian, Spain. Uh, the same day Manchester United is playing Real Sociedad, the team that is in San Sebastian. However, after checking the games played in Manchester. So I was oh, like ready to brutal. book the tickets. <laughs> I was ready to book the tickets. I literally let out a small shriek in the apartment uh, and then checked on it and uh, became a little bit depressed. Uh, but we are going to a game, um, a La Liga game in Barcelona. Should be pretty cool. It's the second team in Barcelona. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's not, you know, one that I would have put on my list, but it's kind of the way the schedule worked. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, but I will be out for at least, I, mean, I know, two weeks. Uh, but I think, honestly, it will make for a better show if we kind of combine the two weeks once I get back and have a much better view of how this is starting because I don't think we're going to learn too much uh, about Troy and Central Arkansas anyway. 
No, but we will learn the Spaniards' approach to football versus the English. So we will have another element. Correct. I'm looking forward to that piece of it. That'll be a fun trip, though. I uh, that sounds like a great time, um, man. You game or not, and uh, safe travels over there. That'll be a uh, ton of fun. And uh, you know, the schedule sets up well for a fall Euro vacation too. Uh, for a Ole Misses, since we just talked about how it set up well for this team, sets up well for the uh, Rodenberg clan as well because the first two games. Like you mentioned, like now I don't know what the hell we're going to learn with this team. And if we learn something, it's probably not anything good. Um, yeah, I will call in from Spain if we lose one of these games. That I can guarantee. Yeah, I'll hold you to that one. We'll get the long distance minutes going and everything to discuss it. Yes. Loss if that is the case. Speaking of uh, kind of the EPL, man, you we've got a we've got an early leader uh, at the top of the standings that is Arsenal and they started four and and the only reason for that is because Man City did have a draw I knew it for a second who it was against but I don't remember exactly who it was what Saudi, Saudi Castle yeah Saudi Castle tied him that's exactly who it was what uh kind of give me the rundown what's happened in the last week I was going to watch a little bit on Saturday and Sunday but it ended up getting a little sidetracked what uh what happened over the last week yeah, I've, I've watched quite a lot of it. I think it's, it's been like two weeks since we last talked about it. So, I mean, if you guess if you look at the top four, I mean, Arsenal's been on a roll. They've just played really, really well, winning games that Arsenal usually loses, uh, coming back down down one to Fulham. Uh, City has been – they're basically now the Golden State Warriors, like the 2016-2017 Golden State Warriors. The last two matches, they've been down two goals – and the first one, they came back down, I guess it was 3-1 to tie. And then this past weekend, they were down two at home again to Crystal Palace and came back and won, I think, 4-2. I think Holland scored three goals in 10 minutes. Good uh, that's how good they are. They, they No lead, no nothing will change the way they do their thing. Nothing is safe with them. If you're alive better and they're down, I would just bet the money line again because they, that's how good and how talented they are. Uh, but they definitely have shown at least a small bit of flaw defensively. I mean, they've, they've been, you know, really conceding more goals than they have in a long, long time over the past really three matches. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're still definitely the best team in this league. Yeah. Uh, Golden State Warriors, uh, comparison's a good one and to put a little bit of a southern flavor on it the Vanderbilt the first year of rocker and lighter I remember we were watching them play a super regional game against Duke and I think in like game two because I believe rocker threw like a perfect game or something nuts in the first game (laughs) but in game two I think Duke scored a run early and we were in Fayetteville for uh the super regional and Chase looked at me and was like uh, Vanderbilt's playing with its food a little bit. And then I think they won like 11 to one. Like it's just, right. just teasing the opponent almost getting down a little bit. Cause the Warriors used to do that all the time. It's like, Oh, they're down 15 in the second quarter. And then you blink in two minutes in the third quarter, they're up 18. And you're like, how, how did that happen? Um, so you right. still think nothing's changed there. That, that steady, steady of a favorite. Yeah. I think they're just playing a different style. Um, they're actually a lot more interesting to watch, you know, that they, they played a lot of last year with what soccer people call a, a kind of a false nine setup where you don't really have a true striker. So you've got a bunch of midfielders, a bunch of wingers kind of, kind of doing their thing, moving around, creating passing lanes, and then just scoring out of sheer, you know, technical setup and, and skill, which they had plenty of. Well, now they've got a guy who might be the best in the world. So they're playing a little bit more offensive, which is kind of 
leading to a little bit more of a counterattacking approach from everyone else. And it, it's kind of burned them a few times early. And um, this is, this league is a lot deeper than it has been recently. And, you know, some of these matches that they used to win three nil, four nil, and it'd be no big deal. There's some struggle there, uh, but I don't think it's something that's going to last. I think they'll adjust and be just fine. I, I truly don't think they have, a lot of real true competition to win this thing. Cause I think we'll talk about what Liverpool has looked like in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're really, really good. I've seen really no major, major issues with them. The, uh, my, uh, some, I'll call it my second or third favorite team. I've got like four favorite teams. Now, but I do <laughs> love the, uh, the real life uh, Ted Lasso and Jesse Marsh, I believe his name is Leeds. We didn't do a podcast last week. For some reason, I thought we'd talked about this, but I just looked at the date. We hadn't, they beat the hell out of Chelsea three to nothing. Now they lost yeah. on Sunday to Brighton for their first loss. But um, the way they've started the year, I don't know if it surprised some people, but I do know that them kind of punking Chelsea. Um, I don't know if that game, I think that game may have been at Chelsea. I, I could have that wrong. Um, but that, that seems like it's been a bit of a surprise. They're sitting in fifth. And again, it seems like with only four matches in the standings are a little bit irrelevant at this point. But the way they've started the year, I mean, that was a team that kind of celebrated the last day to stay in the Premier League type of deal. And uh, they look pretty good. This is the club that you told me kind of plays the, uh, like, Shaka Smart up in your grill for the entire 90 minutes, right? Is that is that them? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's literally how they scored their first goal against Chelsea is uh, Brendan Aronson, the American, like, literally just stole the ball from the goalkeeper because he was harassing him so much. And then just walked it in, no looking into the net. I mean, they they were just on one. Uh, I think it was at home, actually. So, I mean, you know, you're playing at home, that kind of energy. I mean, it, it completely changes the dynamic of the game. Uh, but they're just a classic team that you see across the world where they know exactly who they are. And they've got, you know, very talented players. I wouldn't say the most talented team in the league, but they play exactly – their style and they play it every single game, you know, almost to a fault, you know, not a whole lot of adjustment for them. But if you play, you know, you see a game like against Chelsea where they score early and they're just on you and harassing you, harassing you, I mean, you can just get exhausting from the opposition if they just, you know, are playing really well, converting chances and just, I mean, truly is like that is the best thing I could come up with the Havoc style defense, their high press. I mean, they're just all over you all the time. Um, but yeah, last week, you know, it kind of didn't work against a team that's in fourth, uh, Brighton, who is, I mean, they're just as steady as it can be. And they've given up one goal the whole in four games. Uh, they've beaten teams, you know, kind of handily, to be quite honest. Uh, they, they've been great. But yeah, Leeds uh, has been really good early. And I, I mean, I don't think they're going to finish fifth by any means, but I don't see them having the same issue as last year, you know, holding on for dear life uh, towards the end of the table either. You were talking about how uh, Liverpool looked earlier. Is that if they looked better than advert, like better than expected? Like, is that if you're looking for a uh, looking for a, some sort of competitor to Man City? Is that them? That's who you would have thought, but you know, it turns out they they've, they've been terrible, much okay. worse than expected. Yeah, I mean, the, the good old boys from Man United, you know, truly kicked their ass, which is which was not a good sign for them because <laughs> United has just not been very good. But uh, they've two years in a row have had like these weird pod injuries. I mean, they've got like three or four guys out in the midfield. They had their striker headbutt a guy during a game and get suspended for three games. They're a hundred million dollar man. Um, so that was fun to watch. Uh, they've got some issues um, that they 
have kind of been having to deal with for like six to eight months now. And, you know, obviously they're incredibly talented, well-coached, even though he's kind of a complainer and gives an excuse every time they lose. Um, but yeah, they, they're really struggling. And, you know, if you're going to try to compete to win this thing with city, you can't just, you just can't really drop points in games. You're supposed not supposed to drop points in. And, you know, they've had two draws one in the beginning of the, the, the first game of the season, they, you know, they lost to United, even though the score was two one, it was kind of a pretty thorough ass kicking. Uh, and they drew another game that I cannot remember off the top Norway of my head. City. Of course they, yeah, no, no, no sorry. That's Bournemouth. I was going to them next. That was not them. Sorry. I screwed that up. Yeah. Bournemouth. They beat, they, they took out all frustrations and won like a league record seven nine zero. Um, but th- they definitely are at least a little bit concerned with what they're looking like. They'll end up towards the top when people get healthy and get back uh, into the groove of things. But in t- terms of trying to win the thing, I mean, they've put themselves in a solid little hole early on. The reason I had that up and screwed you up on the draw there is I was trying to figure out how AFC Bournemouth has a negative 16 goal differential. With <laughs> somewhere in their mix. And I was like, how, how does this work? And then, of course, I see that yesterday Liverpool took out all frustration with a nine to nothing win. This is this is pretty incredible stuff. I believe Bournemouth has scored a goal in two games this year. So they beat Aston Villa to open the year. Then they tied Norwich City, but they have not outside of those two matches out of the four or five. I can't maybe one of these is preseason, but they have not scored. They have not scored. So I think they August sixth. Oh, one of those is preseason. So they've scored. A yeah, goal yeah, that makes sense. In one game, two matches. I don't yeah. know. That seems bad. They that they they could be on the the hook for relegation. We were wondering what, which one of these new clubs would turn out to suck. Is that uh is that looking that way? That was my guess to begin, and I, I think that's going to be the case uh, to end it. I, I don't see them staying up, and uh, even though they won their first game, they're they're really going to struggle because Forest and Fulham have like come into the league kind of played really really well even though some of the results haven't necessarily been great but they look like two teams that might stay up uh Bournemouth and quite a few others look not great uh compared to what they usually look like so uh they're gonna be fighting to stay up for sure last thing is any gotten thing anything gotten better for Man U I saw they had a one nothing win against Southampton who has looked at least looked competitive um yeah for a lot of it, is anything changed or is that them just treading water and uh, putting together a respectable performance? Uh, I mean, at this point, it's just like simply about getting results. Um, we've made three new signings and that stuff ends the whole portal, whatever it's called, deadline in September 1st. We signed Casemiro, who's played for Real Madrid, midfielder, who's, I mean, one of the best in the world at his position, though he's a little bit older. We signed a Brazil, another one-name Brazilian named Anthony from, from Ajax in Amsterdam for $100 million. Um, and, I mean, he's literally, if you just look at his highlights, he's like, yeah, this guy's Brazilian. Um, it's hard to explain. He's short, he's fast, and he dribbles the ball like you'll never, ever see before. It's crazy. But I, I, it'll be interesting to see him kind of transition. But I, high hopes. And then a goalkeeper um, – to like be a backup or whatever. Um, and that's it. Uh, so, I mean, we won two in a row. Uh, we've got Lester on Thursday, I think, who they've terrible. looked really, they well, they've looked really bad early. I'm not so sure they're actually terrible, but they've definitely started terrible. Um, I mean, has anything dramatically really changed? No. 
Uh, they're playing hard. They're playing with some some pride for the first time and what feels like a while. Um, they still have just really lacking consistent goal scoring, but the defense, they've kind of figured out the back four, the guys they like back there, and that's, you know, that's a start. So some things are positive, some same negatives, but, you know, I'm okay with what's happened in the past two weeks at least, especially the Liverpool game. That was very encouraging, and it was nice to see what this team should and could be if they play, you know, like they, like they can. So that was nice. Last thing, about 20 minutes before we started recording, you tagged me in uh, an Mbappe tweet. I, because of all the accent <laughs> marks, actually thought this was in French, but it's actually in English. I just didn't put my eyes on reading it. Is, is part of this in French? No, this is English. I think it's from a French deal. Okay. What, what's yeah. the deal here? Um, so I don't know. <laughs> I read it, and uh, I kind of seen some stuff floating around. I know there was a deal with Paul Pogba. He's a French midfielder, used to play for United, and now is at Juventus. Kind of a problematic player, incredibly talented, but just like some – just really just not consistent on the field, off the field. And there was a story that he's like being embezzled from like some gang in Italy for like $13 million. And oh, hell yeah. Part of, that st- part of that story was like that he's kind of gone off the deep end and met with some doctor to like – put a curse on his French teammate Mbappe, who's like one of the best players in the world. And that like story turned out to be like a real thing that's like actually happened. And that has some traction to it. Not that of course that he's going to turn into a dog, but like, that's what supposedly happened. It's very weird. I was reading about it today. I don't know too much about it, but I just thought it was an awesome headline. I'm going to have to read up on hexes and how that works. If that guy does, in fact, turn into a dog, that would be a pretty wild development. You'll have to dispatch from Europe uh, to, re- to uh, kind of just you know, shoot me a text. <laughs> what are people thinking about this player that turned into a, a canine? That's a, you know, I will say, it seems like the frequency of the weird stuff you hear uh, from SEC football is like, one, some of it seems less verifiable, and it probably happens with more frequency. But when you have a mainstream scandal in soccer, it seems like they take it to another level in weirdness. I mean, in like Italian embezzlement, you had a, a, a Russian oligarch sell a team. I mean, Saudi castle. The, it seems like when things get weird, they get super weird. And yeah. it's all out in like mainstream press. It doesn't seem like it's like message board rumors. I don't know what the British message boards look like or French message boards, but it seems like it's way more mainstream over there when it gets bizarre. Yeah, I mean, no one keeps their mouth shut over there. So if anything happens, like, it's known by everybody. So, I mean, some of this crap that comes out, you know, it's always, like, internal tax audits of the best players, crazy stuff like this. I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of, like, really bad stuff some of these guys do that never gets covered up like you might see in college football. I mean, it's just out there on an international level. Um, I think it's just – it's kind of hard to imagine, but there's just so many more people – kind of watching it and involved in it you know i mean we think of college football as this massive massive sport in this country which it is but not and there's a map but it's not the world looking at you it's you know even if it's just in france you know they got guys over in saudi arabia who are like invested in wondering what's going on and guys in australia it's it's you can't hide so that's why all this weird crap always ends up getting out he is Weldon Rodenberg. He might come back learning how to put hexes on people, might start talking with an accent <laughs> the next time you see him. I appreciate the time, my man. Safe travels. Enjoy the trip, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks.
Appreciate it, man. See you all in a little while. All right. That is our show. Appreciate Weldon's time as always as he uh, jets over across the pond on a uh, European scouting excursion for uh, soccer, as well as a vacation with his lovely fiance, whichever one you think is more important. But uh, we uh, look forward to uh, hearing from Weldon there here in uh, a couple weeks. And uh, I enjoyed that pod as always. We got Buchanan coming down the pipe and then probably like a far away Friday type of thing. Um, not to completely rip off Jason Neal's thing, but I might take questions, bring mailbag Friday back is what <laughs> I should say. But uh, we got Buchanan coming down the pipe and then another show on Friday. I'm looking forward to it. You should too. Football is back and uh, appreciate you listening as always. We'll catch you on Wednesday evening.